So this is a series that we've been in for a number of weeks, and today we wrap it up by talking about a new beginning. And here's what we've been trying to do along the way, is to understand the big picture that is the story of the Bible. And we have said that it's not a disjointed, disconnected series of different events and ideas, that it really is one story from beginning to end. And today, we're going to spend some time in what I believe is the most confusing book of all in the Bible. And one of the things we said from the beginning, the Bible can be confusing. It's okay for us to say that. But I think the most confusing book of all is one called Revelation. Revelation has produced a lot of speculation, a lot of different ideas about what different things mean there, and it talks about the end of time as we know it, and how that's going to go down, and when that's going to go down, and are you familiar with this one word um, called the Antichrist, right? It's this one ultimate person who's going to work against the purposes uh, and the work of God, and there have been a lot of different ideas about who that is. And maybe just again to illustrate that, you know, the Bible can be confusing, let's look at some of the different people or things that have been identified as the Antichrist throughout the times. Napoleon Bonaparte um, was one of those from a couple hundred years ago. Um, Guy more recently, Adolf Hitler was thought to be the Antichrist. John F. Kennedy was thought to be the Antichrist. Mikhail Gorbachev, um, and more, even more recently, John Paul II a whole bunch of different popes were identified as the Antichrist. Ronald Reagan identified as the Antichrist. Uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs at different times have been accused of being the Antichrist. The internet was um, called um, the Antichrist. Um, The New York Yankees. um, (laughs) Now that may just be me and some Mets fans um, that think that, but hey, Um, You never know. Now, this next one, I'm not making this up. This is not a joke. There was actually a movement underway that said the Antichrist is none other than Barney the Dinosaur. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. The book of Revelation, and by the way, it's not Revelations, it's Revelation, singular, because it was one revelation given to one specific man. His name was John And he is one of the apostles that walked together with Jesus. He's the only one who did not die a violent death as a result of his faith in Jesus. And now he is exiled on an island called Patmos. And there is when he receives a revelation. Now, let me just ask you this question. You're thinking people, you're really smart crowd. Do you think that when John wrote this down, He was thinking, yeah, one day somebody's going to work against the purposes of God. And you know what? It's Barney the dinosaur. That's that's where this is all going. Instead, what he did for us was record what he saw, which is meant to be not a code that we crack so that we have some insider information about how and when things are going to go down. But John wrote about some things that were happening in his time and some of the situations he was facing, and he was looking to the future for some things that have not yet happened. And there is a bigger picture there that is going to be our focus, not when and how, but just as we looked at at the beginning, it's more about who and why. Why is it that God even revealed that there is a story in the Bible that has a beginning, a middle, And as we're going to talk about today, a new beginning. 
And so to do that, let's start with this image that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. The Bible is unique as a book in this world. It's not actually one book. It's 66 books that were written over the span of 1,500 years by over 40 authors, and it tells one story from beginning to end, and the centerpiece of that story is Jesus. It's always been about Jesus, and the Bible is about Jesus. And before he came, the recurring theme is a Savior is coming. And after his life and his death and his resurrection, everything in the New Testament looks back and says a Savior has come. It has always been about Jesus. But then we might ask the question, okay, well, this is here and now and life in this world, but then what? What comes after we come off the right side of this screen? Because if you know anything about the Bible and church and what is taught around there, there's also talk about heaven and eternity and all of that. And the book of Revelation clues us in to some of those themes and those ideas. But often what happens is when it comes to the end of time, what we often want to know is how and when is it going to go down. Here's one of the things that Jesus said when he was here, that no one knows the day or the hour. Only God in heaven knows the day and the hour when time as we know it is going to come to an end. So you know what's happened repeatedly over the decades and even the centuries? People have thought, you know what? I cracked the code and I know how and when it's going to go down. It's never a good idea to go against what Jesus said. And yet, if you want to know when it's not going to happen, find somebody who knows or claims to know when it is going to happen, and it's not going to be that. Because Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. And so let's take him at his word, and I think that helps us understand, we're not on the planning committee. That's not what Revelation is about. It's not what, you know, understanding that there are some important things that are going to happen at the end of time. Instead, what committee are we on? We're on the welcoming committee. We're on getting ourselves ready and just doing what we can to help other people to meet and follow Jesus. So here's what we want to do is look at the big ideas in the book of Revelation. And let me start by giving you the executive summary of the book. If you've read it at all, you know, man, there's some battles and some horns and some, um, you know, plagues that go out. And it seems like, you know, there's just going to be chaos and confusion at the end. John gets this vision, this revelation, and here is ultimately what he puts down for us. God wins. In the end, God wins. And so the outcome is not in doubt. And one of the pictures there is of Jesus coming back one day and he promised that he would return and he's got a sword coming out of his mouth and his eyes are like lasers. He's got a tattoo on his thigh and he's leading the armies of heaven and he's wearing a white robe. You do not wear a white robe into battle unless you know that it is gonna be easy and you're not gonna get dirty. And one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to wipe out sin and death and evil and everything that stands opposed to God and it's not even going to be hard for him. What does John see? God wins. God wins in the end. But you know what that means for us? That we can make the most of our dash, our life. What do you mean by the dash? And maybe you've heard that analogy before, right? All of us have a number attached to when we came into this world. And one day there'll be a number when we exit this world unless Jesus comes back. And in between is just that dash. And for some that puts in perspective, you know, it's, it's pretty brief. It's here and now. 
But you know what? It has been infused with value by God. And knowing that God is going to win helps us to be able to make the most of the time that we have been given, the precious life that we are living right now to make the absolute most purpose and value to it. So let's talk about three keys to making the most of our dash that are found in the big picture of the book of Revelation. So here's the first one. The end is a return to the beginning. What do you mean by that? Well, here's where we began in this whole story, really was in the beginning of the Bible. Those are the very first words. And we are told in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything that there is. Why did God even create in the first place? And the triune God, the God who was one and three and three and one, created because out of an eternal relationship that has been perfect all along, God wanted to share his love. And so at the height of his creation was humanity. God wanted to share his love and human beings were created to be in the presence of God, to walk with God and enjoy everything that God created. And the pronouncement at the beginning was, and it was very good. But then something catastrophic happens. This world that we're in right now is not the world that God created, right? There's a war in Ukraine that's coming up on one year since it started. There's tragedy playing out in demolished buildings in Turkey and Syria. We think, man, if it's very good, I look at the news and there are some things that are not very good. What happened? A catastrophe happened. That one day a man and a woman decided, you know what, we're going to turn away from God. We're going to walk away from him. You know what the Bible calls that? Sin. Sin is an archery term that means to miss the mark. And the fallout of that has been felt ever since and is being felt in our day. And not just on global levels, but on personal levels. Why is there hatred and animosity and separation and a lack of forgiveness and all of that? It's all a fallout. And we wonder sometimes, why would God set humanity up that way? Why even put that possibility in there? Because if there truly is love, there has to be a choice. And one day, a man and a woman representing all of humanity made a choice to walk away from God. And the results have been catastrophic. And so what is God to do in response to that? Does he walk away? No, God went to work to redeem and to restore. And ultimately what he is going to do at the end of time really takes us back to the beginning, to the purpose for which we were created. We were created by God and for God to be in a relationship with him without separation that is experienced in a very intensely personal way. Here's some of the language that talks about that in the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Often in the book of Revelation, there's some figurative language in there. The sea is a figurative way of talking about distance and separation, right? When you're standing on the edge of a sea, you can't see the other side, right? There's a big gap there, a big difference, a distance, and so the sea is often used to communicate that. But now there is no more sea, there is no more separation. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Well, I thought you said the beginning was a garden, but now we see a city coming down. And it's not us going to heaven, but it's instead heaven coming down. And that's right, it's a city. And you know why? Because this is a picture of community. Of people being connected to God and also to one another. Heaven is not going to be a lonely place. 
And sometimes people ask this question, will we know each other in heaven? And let me ask you this question. I think it's a pretty easy one to understand. Can you truly be in community with somebody and not know them? And so, of course, we're going to know one another. And there is going to be community unlike anything we've ever experienced. We get little tastes. We get an imperfect version of it here. But one day it's coming in a full and final form. And there will be no separation between us and God and us and each other. And it's going to be prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from a throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. No more separation between us and God. Now he is front and center. He is there in that place. And there's not going to be any more distance. He will dwell with them and they will be as people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Does that sound good to anybody to be in a place like that? Why? For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. For a long time, I kind of read that like all new things. Like it's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before, but instead it says all things new. It's like a return to the beginning, the way that it was supposed to be from the very start, before the catastrophe. Being in an unhindered relationship with God, experiencing God moment by moment and all that he has for us and enjoying all the things that come along with him. But it is heaven primarily, why? Because God is there. And we were made by him and we were made for him. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega. Did Jesus pledge a fraternity? Is that what this is telling us? That's not what that means. That's like us saying, I am the A and the Z, the first and the last letters in the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end. What is Jesus telling us there? That he is the eternal one, that he is the one who stands apart from time, that he is God. He always has been and he always will be God the Son. And one of the things that is not confusing in the book of Revelation is the identity of Jesus. Who is he? He's God. And when he was here in this world, he was fully God and he was fully man. God become flesh and made his dwelling among us. And why did he come ultimately? Check this out. To the thirsty, I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. Let me ask you a question. Are you thirsty? Have you ever been thirsty? And I don't just mean needing a drink. I'm talking about the ache and the longing in the human soul and mind that wonders sometimes, is this all that there is? And is there something bigger and better and beyond myself. Instinctively, I believe that humanity knows that we were never meant to be the ultimate thing. That hardwired into the soul of humanity is this recognition we're made by God and for God. But because of that distance, because of that separation, we don't always understand what that's about. And so sometimes our souls are thirsty. You ever stared at night at the ceiling? Wondering, am I living out my purpose in this life? 
Am I doing what I'm here to do? Or is there more? Have I missed it? And at the end of time as we know it, Jesus invites people to quench their thirst. And that is done in a relationship with him. And there is nothing and there is no one except for the relationship for which we were made that will ultimately quench that thirst. But boy, do we find all kinds of different ways to try to do that. This illustration seems especially relevant in this week where those boxes were delivered. Heard a statement a long time ago. It didn't make sense to me at the time, but I think I get it now where it says that every man who knocks on the door of every brothel is searching for God. And it does not sound like those two things go together. But I think that's exactly what this is talking about. There's a thirst and a hunger. And maybe if we're looking for love, we're looking in all the wrong places. And to anyone who has that ache in their soul, Jesus says, if you're thirsty, you can come. I will give from the spring of the water of life. And notice this, without payment. Do we think that it's up to us to earn our way into God's good graces? This says it in about that. You can't pay. Somebody else made payment for you. The city that's described in the book of Revelation is big. The community there is large. There's a measurement uh, stadia, which is kind of a weird thing for us. And if you do the math, it comes out to 1,400 miles is just a span of one of the walls of this community of heaven. That's like going from Ogden as the crow flies to Nashville, Tennessee. That's big. And there's going to be this community of people who have once and for all time quenched the thirst that we find in this broken part of the story because it has been quenched in the only place it can be, the place we were made for. Is heaven going to be us floating around on clouds and diapers playing harps? No. You know why? Because nobody needs to see that, and nobody wants to see that. <laughs> it's going to be a community of people who put their hope and trust in Jesus, and they're going to be connected to him and each other, and there will be no more separation. So are you thirsty? What John saw says, there's a place you can go and a place that will ultimately quench your thirst. Another key to making the most of our dash is that all things are going to be made new. Check out these words. Here again, Jesus talks about his identity. Who is he? I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the eternal one. I am God, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. And do you notice there's a tree of life? There was a tree in the garden. There's gonna be a tree at the end. And here we are in the center part of that story, the middle of that story. And notice how it says that there are those who wash their robes. And what is that talking about? And again, here's imagery. And this is about how are people like us made right with a holy God? Our track record is stained and polluted. And what this is talking about is the people that have the right to the tree of life, you know what they did? They didn't wash their own robes. They didn't do, you know, a lot of good things to try to offset, you know, the bad things. They washed, their robes were washed. It was done for them. And we talked about this last week, that when we put our trust in Jesus, what he does is he takes our sin, he makes payment for it, and then he clothes us with his righteousness. 
so that when God sees us, he does not see our stained track record. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's who's being talked about on that day. And those have the access to the tree of life that they may enter the city by the gate. So one day, you know, if my life ends here before Jesus comes back, and you know, a lot of times, again, we get all wound up in how's it gonna go down and when is it gonna go down? Here's the thing that I think is much more relevant to us, is within about 20 year span, I can predict not when and how it's gonna happen, you know, at the end of time, but I think I can probably predict within 20 years when my end and your end are gonna happen, if you know what I mean, right? Because we kind of have this idea that, you know, the end of time as we know it is a reality for us. And so if that should happen to me and I'm standing at the gates of that city, and there's somebody, and this isn't, you know, in the Bible, but if somebody's there to say, hey, why should you come in here? You know what I will not say to them? I'll not say, well, I was a pastor. I was a dog guy, not a cat guy. That's a good thing. <laughs> and I packed a box, you know, that was delivered to a brothel. Actually, my wife packed it. I drove it back to church, though, and so I'm a part of that as well. It's not those things that we do, and we do not do them for that reason. You know what I'll say one day? I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. That's why. And that's enough. And those are the ones who have their robes washed because they have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. One more statement here. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. We don't have time to go into all of this, but these are indications that come from the Old Testament at the time in which it was saying a savior is coming. You know what Jesus is basically saying? The story before I got here was pointing in my direction. It's always been the Jesus story. And he has been the centerpiece of it all. And he is what it was talking about all along. The spirit and the bride and the bride is the church say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is, what's the next word? Thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. And if you've ever entertained this idea and if your soul is thirsty, do you hear what Jesus says to you? Come. Don't come to this church. Don't come to any person who's wearing a microphone. Come to him. He's inviting you to him. No church can save you. No church can make you right with God. Jesus can. And that's what he came to do. And do you hear his invitation to you? Come and wash your robes and have access to the tree of life. It's what you were made for and it's where you ultimately are satisfied. Come. One more key to making the most of our dash is that the new can be in you. And again, if you've never really entertained the idea that there is a God who knows you and loves you and has invited you 
Check out these words from the Apostle Paul. This is not in Revelation, it's in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Let me wrap this up with a picture here. In the beginning of the story, we are told that there's a garden, and in the garden, there's a tree, the tree of life. And people had access to that, but then when catastrophe happened and a choice was made to walk away from God, access to that was cut off. And here we are in this broken part of the story. But what we read about in the book of Revelation is that there's gonna be another tree and there's gonna be a tree of life at the end. And so in the beginning, there was a tree, and in the new beginning, there's a tree. But here we are living life in the middle of the story. And there's a lot that's broken here in the middle, including me and you and the world in which we live. But we were made by God and for God. And one day he's gonna restore everything to the way that it was originally intended. But here in this part of the story, what has God been doing and what is he saying to people like you and me? He's saying, come to me. And I have been at work redeeming and restoring. The word redemption, which is, sounds like one of those Bible words and you find it all throughout the stories. Redemption has to do with restoring something to its original purpose and value. And that's what God has been doing. And it's what Jesus accomplished for us. So on a day where there's going to be some well-known commercials, that's a part of a game that some of us don't have a dog in the fight for, let me uh, throw out a commercial line but change it just a little bit. Got Jesus? You got Jesus? Because he has done everything necessary and he says, come, come as you are. Come and wash your robes, your track record in his righteousness. Would you pray with me? And just before I pray, is it time to nail this down once and for all? Or maybe something you've never entertained. That there's a God who has called me to himself into a relationship. I can be made right with a holy God. And he did everything necessary for that. It's not my doing, it's his. It's not my righteousness, it's his. It's not my goodness, it's his. And to do that, we just acknowledge the truth that we missed it, we missed the mark. Bible says we're all in the same boat with that. And we put our trust in Jesus. It's always been about him. At his life and his death and his resurrection and what that means for people like you and me. And it's a commitment to follow him. Doesn't mean a commitment to perfection, not this side of heaven, but to follow him day by day. And Jesus, thank you for who you are and thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for reaching down into this broken world for offering yourself as payment for our sin so that we could be forgiven. God, may there 
be not only gratitude in these hearts of ours, may we walk humbly with our God because of all that you have done on our behalf that we could never do for ourselves. Help us to walk with you day by day and to make the most of this dash, of this life, this precious life that you have given to us here and now. Lead us in that direction, God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.